everybody. Welcome to episode 84 of Weighing In with Andy Hamilton and David Mercatani. I'm Andy Hamilton coming to you from downtown Waterloo, Iowa at the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, Dan Gable Museum. Joined on the line, David Mercatani. Welcome back, David. Thanks for having me, Andy. How was your weekend? It was great. Just a little trip out to Lincoln and back for opening weekend of Final X. Fun time out there. You know, you were on the road to Indianapolis for schoolboy duels as well as the Greco-Roman Junior World Team Trials. You got back in time to watch all the matches Saturday night in Lincoln. Impressions from week one, David, of Final X. Um, on the men's side, you know, I think the three guys that, you know, the three heavier weights were all pretty substantial favorites. You know, the green match was obviously very tactical. Burroughs continues to impress your tweet or post about the guys that he's beaten and their career records in the NCAs really I think was well done by you and sort of gives people the right perspective on how great he's been. Snyder is obviously Snyder and was really good, but got to give Gadsden credit. I mean, he hit the double leg, took him all the way up the stage. He didn't just come out there to take a beating. And I think, and I, I'm guessing we'll get into this, the, the Gilman fix match was probably the one where I think people were the most divided on how it was going to go out. I think for a lot of reasons, right? I mean, Dayton fixed the way he mauled everybody in Finland last year at the Junior World Championships, uh, tech smashing everybody in his path to junior world title over there, plus, uh, you know, taking Tony Ramos out in two straight matches and, and just uh, how solid he is in so many different positions and how dangerous he is uh, with his inside trip, with his uh, gut wrench stuff on top. Um, but, man, Gilman, uh, you look at what he's done, David, in the the last year on the world scene, and he's – been really really difficult to take down if you have to come at him and my impressions of the match like Gilman the, the thing that we've talked about even after the World Cup and in some of the you know the matches uh, even over in Paris like he always gives himself opportunities and, and Yuki Takahashi uh, in the World Championship match and uh, in the World Cup was scoring off Gilman shots and Edersvili in the World Cup was scoring off Gilman shots Gilman really dialed it back and was really selective, wasn't uh, gunslinging Gilman like we've seen in the past. And uh, just, you know, from my vantage point, felt like he was just uh, content to stand in the center and if, uh, you know, fight it out, hand fight it out. And if uh, Fix was going to beat him, he was going to have to find a way to get to his legs. And that really never happened. Uh, so, man, he's he's really hard to get to. Yeah, and... When I was working for you guys at World Cup doing the interviews uh, during the finals, I was sitting, literally Mark Perry was sitting there, and he, he kind of said the same thing that, at least the first part of what you said almost verbatim, that he only loses matches when he shoots too much, but that he's a really big guy for the weight and guys don't get to his legs. And you know Mark, and I know Mark, and he's a guy that loves to break down film and game plan for opponents. Dayton, as good as he is, is not super, super elite at getting the legs yet. His counter-wrestling is really good. His scrambling ability is off the chart. His top game is really good. But I think Gilman's just a bigger, stronger guy. I think you could see that 
in the hand fighting, and you could see it in the first match when Gilman got that really slick, I guess, low double, if you want to call it, almost like a low double ankle pick. But Fix immediately won the scramble uh, after losing the takedown, getting the crotch thrown, ending up on top, and really didn't come close to turning Gilman at all. And, and that really looked like a horsepower issue to me. Yeah, Gilman, uh, match two, it was intriguing to me just how Fix changed his approach. He really, really came after him in the match two and firing off a lot of a lot of attacks. Uh, but uh, yeah, Gilman was able to fend off everything that came his way. And I think uh, if you you look at things from Gilman's standpoint for the next four and a half, five months here between now and Budapest, uh, if he can really uh, ratchet down his finishes. I think it's, he's going to be really hard to beat over there. I think that's the one thing with him. He can get to legs when he needs to. Uh, now it's a matter of can he turn those scores into scores for him rather than counterattack scores for his opponents. 100% agree. And, I mean, what I'm going to say next is certainly not a, you know, a newsflash. It's obviously easier to win when you have the lead. You know, and nobody really worries about those those shot clock points anymore. They feel like, you know, what goes around is going to come around. His defense is really, really solid. You're right about Fix taking a lot more shots, but all his shots were straight on, no elbow pulls, no sweeps, nothing to the corner, nothing head outside. And that's probably the not the ideal way to attack somebody who's literally physically stronger than you. you I used to wrestle with our heavyweights all the time, and you, know, you have to attack knee down and you have to get to the corner either a sweep single or like a high crotch and then, you know, pivot and get yourself to the outside, but get out from underneath those guys. Cause Gilman just sort of squashed him a couple of times and he's so big. I feel like he can do that to almost anybody in the world. Well, looking at uh, the other matches that went down on the men's freestyle side, David, uh, 70 kilos, as you mentioned, uh, tactical matches, two guys really familiar with them with each other. James Green, Jason Chamberlain, longtime training partners there in Lincoln. Really felt like Green was in control of things, with the exception of the last seven or eight seconds of match one. He, from my vantage point, looked like, uh, boy, is Chamberlain going to find a way to sneak this one out? Uh, really didn't seem like he had anything going up to that point. And then uh, all of a sudden he gets to a leg and Green fought it off. Your your thoughts on 70 kilos, what were your main takeaways there? I think if you begin with the end first, it's interesting James Green might be the favorite to win the world title if Chimizo stays up. And he's been a great wrestler, but he's clearly, you know, in Burroughs' shadow. Burroughs gave him several shout-outs in the interviews that you did, you know, talking about training with a world silver medalist, um, you know, that they're the best place in the world to train at those weight classes you know, used it to recruit, those sort of things. Um, Green's go-behinds have gotten better and better. You can tell that, that Mark Manning, Brian Snyder, who won, most, who won Coach of the Year, and shout-out to him, and Burroughs and him are all working on this re-attack strategy because it's becoming more difficult to win off their attacks because guys are just staying low and down-blocking and things like that. Um, I agree with you. I thought the first match it felt like green really defended hard for about five and a half minutes. And it, it almost felt like Chamberlain kind of lulled him to sleep when he got in on that shot, but green's really long 
and you just kind of turned his hip down and, and kept that whizzer, you know, that low anchor, that low pressure whizzer, and you know, Chamberlain wasn't able to finish. But I think it's great for Green and Burroughs to be on the team again together. They both have a guy training next to them that's that's training at a high level, not like they have to sort of talk guys into coming in every day. Yeah. You mentioned Green uh, with Chimizo moving up, uh, being the favorite. Uh, he's going to face some stiff competition there still, I think. No matter who Russia sends, uh, they're going to have a guy that's world-class at that weight class, uh, world championship caliber. Some other guys, uh, Green took the loss against Azerbaijan at the World Cup. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know that we've necessarily seen James Green quite at his best yet in 2018 he had that hip operation and he talked about that uh, we'll have that video up on track wrestling uh, just his interview there about what he went through with that and and how uh, doctors told him if he kept going the way he was going he's probably going to have a hip replacement by the time he was 30 and so they got that thing figured out what the issue was there and and I think we're still maybe seeing um Maybe not quite the explosion or the or the top notch uh, attacks on his feet that we've seen from James Green in the past, and I think he can get back to those. He says he's feeling a hundred percent better than what he did a year ago uh, with that. Uh, he thought it was a lower back issue, and it's been plaguing him. I think he said since 2014, even so. I think uh, this time now to to sort of dial in on uh, getting back to maybe more of his high level high octane offense will be good for James Green. Yeah, and when I went and did the interview with Manning and Burroughs in December, Green was on crutches and I mean he wasn't even like sort of hopping around on crutches like quickly. You know, I mean he was laboring. So it's it's super impressive to see what how far he's come. And different guys peak at different times. I think your point is well taken that he'll probably be better four months from now than he is. He was last weekend. And certainly when I said he was a favorite, I don't, you know, if he beat Chamberlain by one or two points, he's going to be in some dog fights and probably the quarter semis and finals. It just would be really cool to see him break through and get a gold medal. And, you know, obviously you hope Burroughs wins as well, but you know, maybe he gets to, you know, have the, you know, the shadow taken off of him for a minute if, if he can get to the top of the podium. Well, think about who's beaten him during his medal runs. You know, he lost to Yazdani Chirati in Vegas, and he lost to Frank Chimizo over in Paris. Right. We're talking Yazdani Chirati, world and Olympic champion. Chimizo, two-time world champion. So, taking a top-notch, world-class guy to beat James Green during his two medal runs. 74 kilos, David. Jordan Burroughs. Uh, first match, 4-1 over Isaiah Martinez. Second match, 11-1. Didn't seem like Jordan was moving all that well in the first match. Kind of standing around and uh, didn't really see Burroughs, his A game, I wouldn't say, in the first match. But uh, never really seemed threatened and uh, opened things up second match. Take down to a lace with a couple turns and... Uh, was moving much, much better, in my opinion, in that second match. For sure. He's a guy that takes time to figure you out. I think he also has a lot more confidence in his defense. His game has really evolved from the first year he came out. And, you know, I know he said this to multiple people, you know, not just our interview, but that when he was talking 
with us, him and Manny, he just said, I was just going to shoot as many shots as I could and try not to get leg lace or gut wrench. Like, that was my game plan. And he's had to adjust as people have adjusted to him. Uh, Imar was dangerous when he got to that seatbelt position, but Burroughs only let him get him there once. And Imar looked like the adrenaline drop really hurt him. He looked like he got tired really fast. And that, you know, it's not a cardio issue. You know, it's not a training issue. I think it was just nerves management. But, you know, he's eventually going to be the future or one of the guys in the future of that weight class. So it's, it is good for him to be able to get on a stage that big and perform and just, you know, deal with that like. Because obviously his goal is to, as soon as possible one day win that thing. And you, it's usually hard to win it the first time. Burroughs is sort of a freak that way. Most of, you know, most of us walk before we run and, and run before we sprint. Well, you mentioned the tweet that I that I sent out uh, Saturday night or Sunday. I can't even remember when it was. Uh, the guys that he's gone through in his eight trips to the world now, world championships, the guys that he's had to beat in the world team trials and Olympic trials finals, Andrew Howe, Kyle Dake, David Taylor, Isaiah Martinez, combined <laughs> with those four, 16 trips to the NCAA championships, 15 times they've made the NCAA finals. The lone exception, Andrew Howe finished third as a junior in 2011. Burroughs, of course, won that weight class, uh, beating Tyler Caldwell uh, in the finals. Caldwell knocked off Howe in the semis. If I'm not mistaken, David, that might have been the year that uh, Howe suffered that hamstring injury. Was that – am I getting my years crossed in there maybe? But – uh, certainly those those guys are all-time greats at the college level, and he's had to butt heads with all four of them throughout his eight trips to the uh, world world team and Olympic trials. So uh, another feather in Burroughs' cap. I hope people uh, really appreciate what we're seeing right now because it's, it's legendary, it's historic. This may be, it's complete conjecture, but I think if Jordan Burroughs wasn't wrestling, Andrew Howe would still be competing. And, you know, he, he chased Dake up a weight class. He chased uh, David Taylor up two weight classes. I mean, and they both went up for the Olympic trials. Like, I mean, you're right. The perspective, when you, you posted that, I was like, oh, my God, that's insane. Like, you just look at all the ones and twos in there. Like, the one three sticks out, which is crazy. You know, 15 out of 16 finals. I'm probably like, I think it was eight titles or nine, something crazy like nine. that. Yep. Nine. Yeah, just, I mean, you know, nine first, six seconds, and a third. And he's undefeated against those guys. Yeah, it's crazy. He's, you know, he said it. He's in the conversation with John, especially if he can win this year, for sure. He's in the conversation with John, and he's not done. And he's also super charismatic guy, like, you talk to him, you feel like, I mean, he may not remember your name five minutes later, but during those five minutes, you feel, I mean, he's great with eye contact, great at a little joke, you know, makes you feel like you're important. He's great for wrestling. And he just, he's great for wrestling in America for sure. Yeah. You look at those four guys that we were just talking about, how Dake, Taylor, Martinez, what is there, 20 career losses in college with those guys? Maybe. That's it. <laughs> That's a great stat, but it, 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 I'm not sure I wouldn't take the under on that, right? Like, yeah, I mean, 
I guess you'd have to go through. I think Dake had four in his career, and I think Taylor maybe had four or five. And especially if you don't theoretically count the ones he had against Dake, but even if you do, and I think Martinez only had four or five. Twenty's probably about right. It's crazy. It's, it's Taylor, absolutely insane. Yeah, what Taylor didn't lose to anybody besides Bubba Jenkins and Kyle Dake. Yeah, and the one match doesn't count because it was the All-Star yep. meet. Yeah. And so. I, Isaiah's got the three yeah. losses all to Penn State guys. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, phenomenal. 97 kilos, David. Uh, Kyvin Gadsden uh, cut the margin a little bit. It was Snyder and two techs, two straight techs last year. It was Snyder and two uh, pretty one-sided matches with the exception of the double leg off the stage to start match two. But uh, and Kyvin's up against it there. Everybody that's up, everybody that steps on the mat at 97 kilos across the world is up against it against Snyder. And man, he's, he's, I don't want to say he's bulletproof, but boy, he's pretty close. Agreed. Uh, before we get into Snyder, Kevin Gadsden, you can tell, has made a lifestyle change. His body looks better. He looks fitter. Um, if you follow him in social media, super positive, you know, congratulating. Snyder afterwards, but you know, also like, hey, I'm I'm gonna keep getting better. Um, I think he's a guy at times that's just relied on his talent and that hasn't happened now. And that's a very interesting dynamic because this feels like the time now where a lot of guys would give up because Snyder's so good. But it's great that Kyvin Gadsden and those kind of guys are training hard because it's gonna help Snyder stay crisp to become you know, maybe the greatest wrestler of all time, maybe the greatest American wrestler of all time. And he, he was super impressive. He's he's a guy, you know, I think he's, what, 21, 22 years old. His composure is just otherworldly for that age, for sure. I'm going to ask you to put your coach's hat on here for a minute. Say you're cornering Kyvin Gadsden at this point. You're You're in his corner. You only get maybe a couple cracks at Snyder. As long as Snyder's going off and winning world and Olympic medals, He's he's in the sit out position if the format doesn't change, and you may only get a couple cracks at him a year. What do you do if you're Kyvin Gadsden at this point to close the gap and and overcome what you're up against? I think you have to start with where Snyder isn't awesome. Like you know, he's, his defense is fine on bottom, but you know, we don't really know. You know, nobody really is. Nobody awesome has gotten on top and tried to turn him. He, he really has no top game unless he falls into something, which is very similar to Burroughs at his stage of his career. He's just a machine on his feet, but he does make mistakes. If I was coaching Kyvin, I would be clubbing and trying to get to an underhook. I would try to get him in upper body because if you make a mistake there, it's big points. And, you know, a four-point move with the way Snyder wrestles is really worth five, but he generally doesn't four-point guys. So you get the tiebreaker. Also, when you get to tie-ups, heavy, you know, heavy hands and underhooks, and I'm actually underhooking here while I'm on the phone. I don't know why I'm doing that. But, um, <laughs> um, but when you get in there, it's, it's more of a chance to rest, and it's, it's time when Snyder can't pull on your head. Now, I'm sure Carvel and Jaggers and that crew and probably Snyder himself knows, well, that's a way that people would think they could beat me. But I think I would at least start down that path and then see what happens. I mean, we've seen Snyder get behind. You know, I mean, you'd probably look at the match at Beat the Streets, and, you know, 
if you, had, I mean, it obviously Schneider relaxes once in a while because it happened against Gadsden and it happened against the Cubans. So he's not, he's not perfect. He, he's a guy, he wrestles like a guy that's not very good, that's just going to grind you forever. And he's really freaking good. But, you know, he's not unbelievably explosive. I mean, theoretically, if you could make it an explosive match, that's your best chance against him. And that's like what Perez did for a period. The problem is the matches are two periods long. Well, moving on, David, to women's freestyle out there. Allie Reagan over Jenna Burkett in two straight, 4-0-5-0. Tamara Stock won a pair of 10-0 techs against Randy Belts. Then uh, Jakara Winchester takes out 2017 World Bronze medalist Becca Leathers in two straight. Really impressive performance from Jakara Winchester. David, what were your takeaways from the women's freestyle matches? Well, first of all, just the level continues to be elevated. That's awesome. The people in those in their corners, you know, they're not being treated like the B team in any way. Allie Reagan's got Corey Clark there. You know, I mean, and the last the last match, um, the upset of Becca Leathers was that was impressive. I mean, that underhook to a far knee run is that's a very very high level technique and something that I think you know can benefit her at the world level and just the the fight all these those girls fought and you know just like the guys did but it's just it doesn't feel like i think we talked about this i don't know at some point maybe 20 podcasts ago where people were sort of saying like ah you know like the old school guys like oh i guess we got to have women's wrestling for title nine women's wrestling is awesome the skill level is awesome if you have a son or daughter and they were just learning to wrestle for the first time and they watch nothing but those three series they could learn a lot. It isn't like, well, the guys did a lot better. It's just, it's not the case anymore. And in some ways, the skill level, the flexibility is usually a little bit greater and the power might be a little bit less. So, you know, the skill level in some cases has to be better to pull off the technique. You know, I don't, I would say I'm the first one. I don't know the depth of the women's programs on the international level, like who the best people are overseas. I mean, I know the, the Japanese team is always really strong, but, I'm not as well-versed in that as I am on the men's side, but that those girls look like they could wrestle at a very high level and compete with just about anybody in the world, you know, is what I thought. Yeah, I think Winchester is going to be a handful over in Hungary based on based on the way she performed against Leathers, taking her out in two straight. Uh, you know, as we mentioned, Becca has a 20-year-old last year winning world bronze, coming back from that, and uh, Winchester – up in Rochester, she seemed incredibly confident. That was the one thing that she kind of brainwashed me into thinking that uh, this is going to be a really tough series for Becca Leathers. And one comment that she made up there is after she took out uh, Dominique Parrish, U23 world team member last year, took her out in two straight techs, uh, Winchester said, I, I had asked her about thoughts on the, the series against Becca and, and you know, what she have to do to overcome world bronze medalist and she said you know frankly i think uh, the matches that i just had against don Parrish were, are going to be tougher gonna be my toughest challenges to make the team and uh granted that uh 
didn't quite play out that way. Leathers came out, scored a quick takedown uh, early in the first match, and the matches were a little bit uh, tighter on the scoreboard than what they were up in Rochester for. But uh, that being said, uh, she's got some stuff, David. She's got some skill, some athleticism, and uh, certainly now it seems like after not making weight last year at the World Team Trials, uh, seems at least from you know her interview afterward and, and her appearance out on the mat looks like uh, has maybe the, the nutrition issue in order and, and can hold up a little bit longer than what she might have in the past, according to some of the things she said there. Yeah, another person who lifestyle, you know, they pointed it out about themselves. She's a just physically strong-looking young lady and just powerful. And, you know, I think we've all wrestled guys, you know, for us guys that maybe looked strong and weren't or wrestled guys who were really strong and didn't look that. She looks like she is strong and is actually strong in some of these powerful positions. So, um, but it, I thought that the interview was cool. Like, she owned, you know, this was on me. I had to get better. You know, I had to live my life better. Like, that's whenever people are accountable like that, it, if you don't know them and I don't know her at all, but it makes you want to root for them even more. At least it does for me. Well, round two of final X coming up Saturday night in state college, the bout card for Saturday night, 65 kilos men's freestyle, Joey McKenna against Logan Steber, the all Ohio RTC bout for a 65 kilogram spot on the world team. Going to go down there. Women's freestyle, 62 kilos. Kayla Miracle against Mallory Velty, returning world team member. Miracle, of course, the U23 world team member, four-time national champion at Campbellsville. Women's freestyle, 72 kilos. Aaron Claudio versus Rachel Waters. Men's freestyle, 79 kilos. Kyle Dake versus Zahid Valencia. That's going to be a good one. 76 kilos, women's freestyle, Adeline Gray against Corey Bullock. And then wrapping things up in State College, David Taylor against Nick Renan. Well, David, of course, 79 kilos. It's going to be one that uh, all eyes are on in State College. Many thought coming out of Vegas that it would be a Dake Derringer rematch. Of course, Zahid Valencia threw a wrench into that with his brilliant performance up in Rochester, taking out Alex Derringer in two straight up there. What are your thoughts on that? What are going to be key points in that match? I think Zahid's game plan is to fire off 10 shots a period. And, you know, I think their thought is we can score one or two and we can not give up any. Kyle Dake might be as good of, I guess he's a different kind of counter wrestler than like a Burroughs. Like Burroughs is a go behind a reshot. Dakes, you know, I'll let you have my leg and then I'll score off of that. And, you know, he's, his leg defense, once you have his leg, is just otherworldly. We've all seen those highlights. Um, I, I think it's interesting, though, because, I, I, you know, I, I think I was a prisoner of the moment. You know, like I, I kind of thought Fix might win after watching Rochester. And, you know, I'm like, well, maybe Zahid can cause Dake problems. I think, you know, I need to stay in my lane there. And Dake's earned the spot and is, you know, a, you know, a guy that's beating some of the best guys in the world. It, it just feels like for this weight class being in a non-Olympic weight, it's really too bad because it feels like America's got three hammers here that are unbelievable. Uh, I think I said to you off air that I thought whoever won the first match at 57 
would win the second one. And I kind of feel like this is the same way here that I, you know, whoever wins, there probably won't be an amount of an adjustment that would change the decision. He's a very scary guy. And I, you know, I think there's like a hundred percent chance he's going to be at 86 kilos by 2020. So, you know, I think he's in kind of a no lose situation. You know, he's, he's going to continue to grow his body through that. And the more he can get his hands on a guy like Dave, those high, high level guys in competition situations, it can only benefit him. I think he's a guy that David Taylor has to keep an eye on because, um, he's not going to get overwhelmed by David Taylor's pace, like a lot of guys do. And in fact, I think his pace is maybe not as high, but awfully close. And so it's like, you know, putting two buzz saws in a blender and turning that thing on high, you know? So, I mean, I guess I'm looking down the line. I mean, I would, I would favor Dake, but I think it's going to be a fascinating match or series. You ever see two, somebody put two buzz saws in a blender, David? Some junior college, we've done a lot of things that we don't talk about on the air. So. <laughs> How about uh, McKenna Steber? I, I think the real question is, is, did Logan, was he traditionally big brothering him or not? Like, if he is, then I think he's the guy. I think Logan Steber's, you know, he's got to be the favorite. You know, he's, you know, was won the world championships uh, at the non-Olympic weight during the Olympic cycle. Um, he, he's kind of looked on and off. I know he's changed his diet. You know, he's gone vegan. Uh, I saw Lou Roselli this last weekend and I know he had a good training cycle down there and, you know, got to hang out with his brother. I know family's important to him. Uh, you know, I think it's, if you're the Ohio RTC, it's cool. You're going to, you know, you have two members on the team now, no matter what. So, I mean, that's awfully cool. But if, if I had to lean one way, I would lean, I would lean Steber. But I also think this makes Joey McKenna, way more dangerous for the college season, you know, that kind of gotten away from that scenario a couple of years ago where he missed weight and, you know, then, you know, uh, for the junior worlds and then, you know, didn't, you know, DNP the one year at nationals. It feels like he's gotten over the hump with all of that. And, and that's a big leap to make. Any other thoughts on final X state college before we move on and talk a little cadet duels and schoolboy duels, what you saw out in Indy? No, let's get to that. All right, well, let's do a quick Indianapolis schoolboy girl duels, national duels. Illinois sweeps the two titles out there. You were there also for junior world team trials in Greco. What were some of the main takeaways you had from being out in Indy? On the school schoolboy side, it's just, you know, I got a chance to do some interviews and talk to some, some guys that I know and some guys I've, I've always respected, like a Billy Pierce the amount of energy that goes into these kids to get better is really cool. And I also think that, you know, several of those coaches talked to us how it was great to have the event on track wrestling, that they could go ahead and watch, uh, you know, they can go back and watch, you know, they pay for the service and watch the archives and teach their kids from that. And I think that's a really underrated part of this that, you know, that they can, as a, as a staff teach these kids, it's also cool to watch kids from different parts of the state. I mean, I, I'm familiar with a lot of the kids in Missouri, like, you know, as an example, the kids from Kansas city and St. Louis rooting for each other and helping each other out and showing each other moves and things like that. And it's incredibly well run. I mean, that, and on a sidebar, that Warren central high school is an unbelievable facility for a high school. Geez, it's nicer than probably 
90 percent of the junior colleges we ever visited so i mean that that's where brandon wright's from and some other hammers like that so yeah the school boys were really cool and i think you know we don't make a point of you know trying to get all these names out there we let kids be kids but i'm guessing if we look back on this in a couple of years and look at the high school rankings that nolanowski does a bunch of them will have wrestled in this thing and been super successful in it yeah absolutely and you look up and down the list and it's phenomenal we talk about Dayton Fix. He wrestled in this tournament. Mark Hall, Spencer Lee, uh, Vincenzo <laughs> Joseph, Michael Kemmer. I mean, uh, Nico Megalutis. It's it's staggering to see some of the names that are on this list. We ran the list last week. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's the thing that I'm really excited about. We get five, ten years down the road going back at the stars of five and ten years from now and seeing what they looked like when they were schoolboys and what the results uh, were then and what you know did they have their go-to shot way back when or how has their their game developed over the course of the next five ten years it's be fun to look back on that stuff and then uh, David kicking things off out in Spokane Washington Wednesday and Thursday Greco-Roman cadet duels Friday and Saturday the freestyle cadet duels and then, of course, junior national duels next week. You're going to be down there in Oklahoma City. It'll be fun to see which teams rise to the top. Illinois, always a perennial contender at these things. They always have exceptional depth. And, man, their program for Greco and freestyle, they get the results every year, David. They go to these tournaments, and they're in contention to win the title. I was looking up. They had 20 cadet Greco All-Americans last year in Fargo. That's staggering to me to have that many. you have any insight on what they're doing there? Why they're so yeah, successful? I'm actually, a little bit. I mean, I, they first of all, they have great teamwork. The, the Administratively, I, and I think there's not egos. I also think I see a lot of teams or a lot of states where guys are just coaches are going on these trips just to like get out of the house for a week and they're not really you know doing what they need to do to give these guys the best chance they have a training camp they also teach specific skill sets that win you close matches i mean an obvious one is every time you get a takedown you get to a gut wrench or a lace like a Vito Arujao, who made the team you know but as an example like you know when when Josh was wrestling him, we're like, you can't give up a takedown in the middle of the mat. He's probably going to turn it into six or eight points. That makes it hard to wrestle a guy. And the Illinois guys are really good at that. They're really good at breaking quad pods. They're really good at keeping quad pods when they're on bottom. They were unbelievable at the clinch, you know, that when that was going on. So they focus a lot on these specific skills. And then I think there's an expectation of excellence. They get in these one point matches and, they wear the Illinois singlet, and they're like, we win these matches. And that's a very real thing, having coach teams on both sides of the, of the momentum. You get on the right side of it, and kids that maybe aren't that good, like if they wrestled the tournament 10 times, maybe would lose in the round of 12, end up taking third or fourth because they get on a roll. So I, I think it's a combination of factors. I'm actually trying to work with Coach Reynolds over there and and actually doing a behind-the-scenes following those guys for about a week. We're trying to work the details out in Fargo, which I think would just be fascinating because they've, they've won it so many years in a row. And 
from what they've told me, it's going to happen and we're going to get pretty much, you know, full access, full disclosure, which I think would be really cool. And then uh, you mentioned Illinois, but uh, Minnesota won the cadet uh, Greco title last year, ended a five-year run by Illinois. Minnesota's really got it going on, particularly on the Greco side of things with uh, those guys in the Pinnacle Club and Brandon Paulson, uh, his expertise up there. Uh, Pennsylvania coming with Carson Manville on the squad. He was part of that Minnesota championship team last year. He'll be on the Pennsylvania roster this year. It looks like a pretty strong Pennsylvania roster. There'll be some other teams in the mix as well. Georgia won last year's schoolboy title in Greco, and then Washington uh, was in the finals as well against Georgia. Washington being the home state school for this event, you got to think that they're going to have a strong turnout as well. So schoolboy duels ought to be fun, David, and then certainly we'll talk junior duels next week, and we'll have Final X State College to analyze as well as final x lehigh to preview so anything else for this week david no um it was fun to go up there and watch all those kids compete and i think sometimes we just forget what a cool sport wrestling is and some of these kids like you know we get all wrapped up around the axle about things and kids are just like you know they're wrestling and then they just want to go find some sandwiches and hang out and play video games with their friends but it just, it's kind of a joy just to watch these guys wrestle those kids. So it, it was a fun opportunity to do that. Well, David, you got to get to practice. You're running late, so get out of here. We'll cut you <laughs> loose. That'll do it for this week's edition of Weighing In. For David Mercatani, I'm Andy Hamilton. Thank each and every one of you for giving us your time and tuning in. We will be back next week. 